Please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ecclesiastes 10. The title of the sermon as you have it there, Fools. Okay, yeah, we are on. Uh, the title is Fools. Uh, we're actually going to be speaking um, primarily about the tongue today, about the words that we speak. And uh, the focus is going to be on the foolish man and his words, which is why I gave the title what it was. I guess as I was reviewing it this morning, I thought maybe that's not the most descriptive title, but when are my titles ever the most descriptive titles anyway, right? So I think we're okay there. Over the past several weeks, we've regarded Solomon's teaching on a number of deep virtues, deep issues. We talked about wisdom, uh, joy, then on to wisdom. And then last week, we, we, we talked about truth. With each virtue, however, comes a natural opposite, the, its antithesis, the opposite for which we should be careful and of which we should be warned. Now, we're getting close to the end of Ecclesiastes. As a matter of fact, the week before Thanksgiving should be our final week in Ecclesiastes. Then I'm going to preach a Thanksgiving message, and then we'll be bumping our Luke series down to the morning. And we'll be getting back into some New Testament in the morning, beginning, as I mentioned to our, uh, to our Sunday school group, with a, um, an end times series. So Luke is going to introduce the end times, and it's going to be just in time so that we're going to bump it to the, uh, to the morning service just before. So I'm going to start the uh, week after Thanksgiving, most likely, with an end times series. And we'll, of course, have to break for a couple of weeks because of Christmas and whatnot. But we'll be doing that for a little while. I'm excited about that. I have not preached on the end times directly since 2014. And that was in the evening service. So uh, all of those are online if you want to listen to them. But, and it, there will be a lot of parallels, obviously. The teaching has not changed. But, um, but we're going to do that. So I'm excited about that coming up here pretty soon. You know, we have no shortage in the book of Ecclesiastes or Proverbs about foolish men. Today will be our final inspection of the book in Ecclesiastes. It will not be a repeat, however. We are going to focus in on the life of a fool, wise and foolish actions, the contrast between them, particularly as it engages the words that we say. Fools are found in every, in every element of humanity, in every uh, facet, in every um, um, area. So you're, you, there can be fools that are rich, there are fools that are poor. There are fools that are men, there are fools that are women. There are fools that are leaders, there are fools that are not. There are fools in, in, in every class of society. But as we look into the Word of God... What we find quite definitively is that foolishness is not a trait which becomes the child of God. No matter where you are in society, no matter whether you're wealthy or not wealthy, no matter whether you're a male or a female, no matter whether you are um, a, a boss or not, no matter where you are and what place you are in your life, foolishness does not become a child of God. And we've recently learned of just how related godliness is to wisdom. And foolishness is, as we look in the Proverbs, quite the opposite of wisdom. So we're going to inspect the fool, particularly the words of the fool this morning. And in doing so, we need to inspect our own words. What we say, how we say it. Are we foolish? Are our words foolish? Do we have the traits of foolishness? 
Let's begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 12. The Bible says this, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. Our text begins with a distinct contrast between the words of wise men and the words of foolish men. Solomon tells us the words of wise men are gracious. Now, the, the word he in the Hebrew um, is the word that's most often translated grace. It's first found in the Bible in Genesis 6, verse 8. We studied it this morning in Sunday school. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The first occurrence of this word is God showing absolute grace and mercy in the, in the, the face of utter judgment upon this world. And this same word is used to describe how a wise man speaks. The things that come out of a wise man, a wise woman, a wise child's mouth are gracious. We're going to talk about that more in our application today, but already, if you think through all the words you said this week, how are you doing? The words of a wise man, the words out of a wise man's mouth are full of grace gracious. The words of a wise man are quick to be kind, to build up, to encourage, to forgive, to compliment, to love, slow to accuse, unwilling to tear down, resistant to gossip. This is wisdom, not only because it's obedience, but because the wise man understands the power of words, the power of words to build up the power of words to destroy, the power of words even to destroy oneself. Let's focus for a few moments on the power of words. There's an old adage. goes from generation to generation. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The idea of the saying is that insults can only hurt me and tear me down if I allow them to, right? That insults can only get to me if, they, if, I can, if I allow them to get into my head and so I begin believing what other people say about me. And outside of that, those words can't hurt me. Indeed, often when one of my children is being antagonistic to another, my advice to the offended child is to ignore the sibling, right? So-and-so is bothering me and I look at them and I say, well, here's the trick when somebody's bothering you. They know that mom and dad are around, so it's not like they can hurt you or anything, but what they're doing is they're saying things that they think are going to get to you. And if you don't allow them to get to you, then they're going to get bored because they're pushing the button and it's not doing anything, right? So they're going to get bored and they're going to move on, so just ignore them and it'll, it'll pass. But this saying is overly simplistic, isn't it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's overly simplistic, because while personal insults can be ignored and so can come to none effect, words really do have power, don't they? Words have power in society. Words have power in our lives. Some of you may be able to point back to a moment in your life where someone said something to you that changed your life. Maybe it was when somebody was behind the pulpit preaching the gospel and the words of the gospel changed your life. With the majority of us, that is a reality, right? That the words uh, out of somebody's mouth unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took them and used them in your life to bring you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So words are powerful, but maybe other times, maybe your career choice, maybe a family 
family choice. Maybe uh, some point in your life where you were where you were headed in a direction and somebody said something to you and it changed the direction of your life. You, we read history and we know that words have power. We know that the speeches of mighty men from generation to generation have changed things. Some of you, myself not being one of these, can remember when Reagan said, tear down this wall. And the power of words to influence. Words have started wars wherein thousands of people have been killed. Words have stopped wars. Words have caused divisions in society, in culture, in families, in churches. Words have led people to kill themselves and others. Words have power, don't they? Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Words have power. Most of us in here have been permanently changed by the words of another. James warns us of the power of words in James chapter 2. He begins by saying this, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. James, actually, this begins as a warning against becoming a teacher of, of the scriptures. Warning against becoming a pastor. Warning against becoming a representative of the Word of God. Because those that, that step into the role of representing the Word of God before others have to take doubly care what they say because they have double condemnation if they lead men astray. And then James uses this to bridge into teaching on the power of words. Just how important words are, just how big of an impact words can have upon the world in which he lives. James even calls the man who is able to bridle his tongue, to, to, to control his tongue, to not offend with his words, a man, he says, if you can control your tongue so that you don't offend people with your words, then there's nothing in your body you can't control. That's how hard it is, James says, to control the tongue, that if you can control the tongue, then you can control everything else. If you, can get, if you can get mastery over your tongue. James continues. He says this in verses 3 through 6. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven by, uh, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. Whithersoever the governor listeth, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. James says it takes a small little bit to move the entire horse. It takes a small rudder connected to a helm to move great ships. The size of the rudder compared to the size of the ship is pretty minimal. The same can be said as we talk about airplanes and everything else, right? Pretty minimal. But how great a fire can something very, can, can, can a very small spark, can a very small amount of fire kindle? Forest fires start with one bolt of lightning. Forest fires start with one match left on the ground. 
Forest fires start with, with, with one spark that shoots out of the fire and, and catches embers on fire. And what great a matter a little fire can kindle. And James says, make no mistake, your tongue is a fire. A little word said unkindly, said to dig, even perhaps to you in jest, can make a big difference in someone's life. Likewise, a little word of encouragement, a little building up can make a huge difference in someone's life. A little confirmation that someone's on the right track. Going up to your child and saying, you know what, I just want to let you know that you're doing well. Those little things can make a huge difference, can't they? I don't have to prove this to you. We all know this. You all know what, 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 what big a difference little words can make. You all know how nice it is to have somebody come up and say a little something, and, and they may not have even thought about it. They may go on with their day, and, and, and weeks, months, whatever later, they may come up to you and say, you said this once, and it was impacting you. You can't even remember when you said it. But it impacted them. That's the power of the tongue. Perhaps you've experienced a situation where you or someone else has said something, you or, or, or someone else has said something unkind about someone else, and then it got out and it spread and it made it to that person and they were deeply hurt and you never meant for it to happen. It was all in good fun. It was just in passing, but it was unkind. It was hurtful. It hurt them. And try though you might, once words get out, you can't have them back. This is the power of words. This is the power of the tongue. And the tongue is directly, by the nature of the carnal heart, prone to evil, prone to carnality. And everyone has that capacity, which means our words need to become deliberate. And the wise man has deliberate words. The fool doesn't take his words into account. That's the dividing line of our teaching today. The tongue under the control of a wise man is gracious and every, has every capacity to motivate, to encourage, to build up, to change directions, destinies. The lips of the fool, however, Solomon says, sw will swallow him up. He will destroy himself with his own words. And the unfortunate reality of fools is that often they take others with them as well. Solomon would tell us in Proverbs 21, 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. How often do we put our foot in our mouths and we just said, if I'd have just kept my mouth shut, I'd have been so much better off, right? Little things, big things, if I'd have just kept my mouth shut, but I had to say it. I had to, I had to speak up. I don't know why I had to speak up. I just had to speak up. And now I'm in hot water. And... We, we say that with levity. We say that uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but because oftentimes some of these circumstances, looking back, they weren't fun at the time, but they can be comical looking back. But, but the principle is very important, isn't it? Troubles come to the man who has no discretion over his words. A person may often say as a badge of honor, perhaps in a jovial manner, that they are one that speaks their mind. You know me, I'm one that speaks my mind as if that's a badge of honor. The Bible says that's not a badge of honor. The Bible says that's not a positive trait. To be someone who speaks up, speaks their mind unapologetically, who doesn't wait to consider their words, to consider how their words come out of their mouth, to consider the impact that those words might have on whoever those words are touching, that person, that's not a badge of honor. That's the mark of foolishness. 
Certain people have this reputation of speaking first and thinking afterwards and may even be proud of it. But believer, there is nothing about this type of indiscretion for which anyone should be proud. It's the mark of a fool. It's the mark of a person who lacks wisdom that he doesn't think before he speaks. Our words should be deliberate. Our words, more than that, should be gracious. We'll nail this point home again when we get to our application at the end. The first trait of the words of the foolish man, the Bible says, is that they are hasty so that they end up getting themselves into trouble. They end up swallowing themselves up. But Solomon will present three more traits of the foolish man's speech in the next three verses. He says this in verse 13. He says, the beginning of the words of his mouth, that's the foolish man's mouth, is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. What an interesting phrase. The end of his talk is mischievous madness. There's a trend among foolish people and their words. The thing the fool says in haste is not just nonsensical, like the child who opens his mouth just to say something that doesn't matter. So too, the fool will begin by breaking silence and saying a bunch of words which have no bearing on anything. They'll say things that are at best useless and confusing. But the things a fool says in thought are often dangerous and mischievous. The fool likes to cause trouble with his words. The fool likes to use words to stir people up, to agitate them for his own pleasure, for fun. Have you ever known somebody that gossips just for fun? They'll go up to someone and say, so-and-so said something about you, and they didn't. And then they'll go to the other person and say, so-and-so said something about you, just to kind of sit back and, and see what happens and to watch the fireworks. That's a fool whose words have descended into mischievous madness. Madness being a word which means crazy, incoherent. Mischievous, of course, meaning troubling, seeking to cause trouble. For the millennials in our midst, not many of us are millennials, but they call them today trolls. Someone who gets online just to stir up trouble, just to see people react. Bible calls it foolishness and it's mischievous madness. People that thrive on picking fights and seeing people torn down by his words. When he talks impulsively, he speaks nonsense. When he talks deliberately, he speaks danger. These are the words of a fool. Another trait in verse 14. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? A fool doesn't just speak about nonsense. A fool doesn't just speak in mischief. A fool talks way too much. The man who is always talking, who can't be quiet and listen, he's a fool. Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The wise man shuts his mouth and listens. The more you talk, the more likely it is you'll say something you come to regret. So the, the wise man understands the economy of words. The fool will just keep talking. Just keep talking. And eventually, something's going to be said that tears down, that destroys, that comes out wrong. The fool is full of words. And then we have this curious phrase, a man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him who can tell him. The fool is just not full of words, but... Those words are full of ignorant opinions. 
It is often said by wise men that the more you come to know, the more you realize just how much you don't know. The more you read history, the more you read of wise men, the more you read the writings of those who have gone before, the more you realize just how much you don't know, right? The world opens up to you and you say, I've got this little sliver of knowledge and of understanding and there's so much more. It's the same thing when you get, come into a controversy. You hear about all of these controversies today. Name a controversy that's going on in the public today. Whether you want to talk about Second Amendment rights, whether you want to talk about the Civil War and what it was about, and whether you want to talk about all of the monuments that they're trying to tear down, whether you want to talk about, you name it. Go back and actually do the work to study it, and you'll find out you know very little <laughs> about what's going on and why things are where, the way they are. And people are speaking out of ignorance. And it's a mark of foolishness. It's a mark of foolishness. But people feel like they have to say something, right? And so they'll just open their mouth and start talking. It's a mark of foolishness. The fool doesn't bother with knowledge and facts. Indeed, he doesn't need to because he already knows everything. Right? That's, that's the point. The fool, the, the, the fool thinks... He's got it all under control. He spouts his opinion where none is asked. He makes claims about things of which he has no experience. His opinions matter to him, and that's enough for him to think that his opinions need to matter to everyone. And so he keeps talking. He just keeps talking. He is a man who thinks he knows what's coming, who thinks he gets it, but he really doesn't. And so that's what this verse is saying. The fool is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be. Men don't know what's going to come, but the fool thinks he knows what's going to come. What shall be after him? Who can tell him? Who can tell this man? He won't listen. He's too busy talking. In other words, ignorance is often the legacy of fools. The concept of ignorance continues in verse 15. The Bible says this, The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. The words of the fool, the labors of the fool, the efforts of the fool, they weary people because they say so much and know so little. They say so much and so much there's so little that actually, there's so much of little of value that comes out of so many words. May I put it that way? And for those who are asked to listen to the ignorant words of a fool, it is wearying to the extreme, isn't it? Let's just take the simple example. The Bible says foolishness is, hard, is, 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 um, is um, goodness, now the verse has left me. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. There we go. Uh, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So we know that children are by nature foolishness. Uh, foolish, right? And so it's not necessarily offensive when we call our children foolish because they are foolish by nature. So I have many children and the oldest of my children are five years old. And so I have many young children, young children who have not yet learned the economy of words. And so you get into, a car, into the car and you're driving and daddy, 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 and everything, right? And they're telling you about everything. And they're telling you about things that make no sense. And they're telling you about things that don't matter to anything. And you have a hard time. And then in the middle of that somewhere, they say something actually important, right? They say something that actually matters. They say something that you actually say, wait a minute, that actually, there's something there. But it's hard to parse that because there's so many words of nonsense and of things that just don't matter that you, all, the important stuff gets lost in the midst of all the, all the not important stuff, right? And so you start going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's not because you want to be rude, but it's just because there's too many words. There's too many words. And so at some point you say, you know what? You just got to, no more talking. We're just going to stop talking. And if you have something important, like I need to go to the bathroom, then you talk. But you can't just talk for 20 minutes, say, I need to go to the bathroom, keep talking, and expect me to hear that because there's too many words there, right? So let's just slow it down a little bit. 
Now we've all, you've experienced that if you have small children. The problem is a fool never gets over that. They may, it may grow up. The, the tenor of their conversation may change. They may start talking about adulty things instead of kid things. They may be talking about more ignorant uh, uh, things having to do with the real world instead of things having to do with their imagination. Usually it's in their imagination anyway. But one way or another, the, this doesn't change. And this is the mark of a fool. They speak outside of reality, outside of reason. Proverbial here, Solomon says that a man doesn't know how to go to the city, but he claims he does. And, and all of this foolishness, it just wearies people. It's wearying. But this is the nature of a fool. And it behooves us on this day to carefully consider our relationship to the characteristics of wise speech and the characteristics of foolish speech. And remember why this is so important. Remember why. The, and young people, you need to hear this. The, the, the earlier you can learn how to get rid of the foolishness, the better, right? So let's listen here because remember what James said. The tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity. Behold, what great a fire, what great a matter, a little fire kindleth. Our words can have big impacts on people's lives. Husbands, wives, your words really do matter. Your words can have a huge impact on your marriage. Parents, children, your words can have a huge impact on your relationship, on your, par- on your children, on their direction, on their future, on, 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 on them, on their lives. So this really does matter. Now I'm going to start backwards here. In our text, Solomon began by introducing what wisdom and wise words and then he backed up to talk about foolish words. We're going to start with foolish words. And then we're going to breach into wise words. So the first question we need to ask this morning is this simple question. Are your words foolish? Are your words foolish? In any given day, as you think about what you say, how you say it, are your words defined by some of the things? And we're going to walk through these things together. So, so uh, we'll walk through several questions that will help us pinpoint. Foolishness is a characteristic which finds itself far too prevalent in our culture. That's to be sure, right? We have, in fact, an entire phase of life where people are given cultural permission to be foolish and even cur- encouraged to do so. That phase that, that culture calls the teenager. It's a time of life where people say, oh, they're going to make foolish decisions. Well, they're going to say foolish things. They are foolish. They see it as a phase of life wherein because the mind and body are changing and these children are coming into their own and they're, they're getting their own ideas, they have a license to be fools. They're expected to make bad decisions. They're often excused of them. But the Bible does not regard such time. Now, uh, we recognize that in, in the lives of young people, you have to be patient and you have to let them, you know, no one can twist a young person's arm and and convince them of things because of the age that they're in and whatnot. And they think they know a lot more than they do. But the Bible does not really regard this intermediary time where you have the privileges of adulthood without the responsibilities, does it? The Bible talks about two periods of life, childhood and adulthood. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, as he's talking, using it as an illustration of the preeminence of love over other sign gifts and such in the church, he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I behaved as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So the question this morning, are your words foolish? Are you still 
entertaining childish speech. I don't, it doesn't matter what age we are in this room. Is your speech foolish? Is it childish? It's time to grow up. Proverbs 22 verse 15 tells us, as I've mentioned, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Adulthood is not an extension of one's age and ability as much as it's an extension of one's maturity and capacity. Consequently, we live in a culture full of males and females of all ages who have never progressed beyond childishness and foolishness. And don't let that culture, don't think that that's, that that's right. Don't think that that's okay. That's not what God has for us. God calls us as his followers to get beyond that. It should not be among followers of Christ. Petty foolishness in words that defines the nature of the old man has been crucified with Christ. Remember that. It's time for us to grow up and to take our place as those whom God has called out of this world to a higher way of living, to wise words, words that are gracious. It is time to put off the old man with its affections and lusts, Ephesians chapter 4, and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and holiness. So let's ask these questions to determine whether or not our words are foolish. First, do your words regularly get you in trouble? Do you often put your foot in your mouth where you say something and it causes others to be hurt and causes you to have to do damage control? You just blurt things out, the things that come to your mind. The person who cannot be trusted in confidence, the person who somebody comes up to you and says something personal in nature, and the first thing that you do is go tell everybody this interesting thing that you just learned. This is the person who earns the reputation for being thoughtless. Are you one of these? Do you find yourself saying things that cause you to need to do damage control? If so, those are foolish words. They're getting you in trouble. They are eating you up. They're consuming you. And it's time to grow past such foolishness. Second question, are your words unprofitable? Are your words unprofitable? Solomon writes in verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. Now, I have this game I play with my children where I say things that, are, that they would not expect. I bring something foreign to an environment, into the conversation, in order to make them go, what? And it, it's a way for me to make my children smile. I can, I can be a, a serious person uh, sometimes, and I want them to know that, that, um, that it's okay to have fun. And so we, you throw in little things as a way for you not to be too serious. I'm not trying to say that every word needs to have direct profitability in every situation. I'm not saying that. I don't believe the Bible saying that. There's room for teasing. There's room for fun. There's room for puns. There's room for jokes. There's room for these things. But if I take those unprofitable words and I make them the, the, the hallmark of my life so that every time I say something to someone, I, I assume that what's going to come out of their mouth is going to be unprofitable. Do you know anyone like that? Where it's like, look, I need to actually have a serious conversation with you, so you need to transition out of jokes and get, get down to seriousness here. Uh, no, I'm not trying to play with you right now. Let's, let's actually talk and communicate. If, if that's the tenor of your life, if your words are unprofitable, then you're bearing a mark of foolishness. Why? Because you, you want people to be able to trust you and to take what you say at face value. You want them to be able to t take the words that you say and, and give them weight, give them gravity, think that there's something to them. 
You don't want to be the kind of person where everything you say in any given instance is so unprofitable that you would have been just as well not to say anything at all. The guy that's sitting in a group of people and they're all trying to make a decision and whenever you open your mouth, it's just completely disregarded and people are just waiting until you're finished talking so that they can actually get on with the conversation. You don't want to be that person. That's foolishness. And Solomon says, if this is the case, if your words are unprofitable, it would be far better that you just didn't say anything at all. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Even if you are a foolish person, if you'll just shut your mouth, people won't know it. Are your words unprofitable? We need to make our words count, children. We need to be a person who, when you speak, people want to listen because what you say adds to the conversation. Third question, are your words damaging? This is where we start getting really serious. All this other stuff, all, all, all the things that we've talked about so far, that's more damaging to you. That's people disregarding you. Um, the words getting, your, getting you into trouble, that can be hurting others. But, but this is where we really get to other people here, folks. Are your words damaging? Are you the kind of person who uses your words to hurt others, to start rumors, to encourage gossip, or to just proliferate gossip, to tear people down through your words? This is what children do. They say things that they know will upset their siblings in order to get a reaction, right? And this reaction gives foolish siblings power over other siblings. This is what children do. But there are plenty of adults that play this game too, aren't there? As a matter of fact, I believe this is probably the most obvious one. They say foolish, harmful, inappropriate things to elicit responses. They lie, they gossip, they manipulate in order to tear down relationships, pit people against others, just, or just be downright unkind to make themselves feel better about themselves. And the Bible says this is a mark of foolishness and it's time to grow up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, when he encourages God's people not to go to law against other believers before unbelievers, but rather to bring it to the church, he says even the lowest and the least esteemed in the church should have more wisdom than the unbelievers, right? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 4 and 5, that I ought to bring my, be able to bring my cause before the lowest and least esteemed in the church and get a better judgment than before the judges of this world. And if, Paul, if, if that's the ideal, if that's the idea... then there's no place for us to be fools in the church of God. If our words are damaging, if your words are damaging, then you need to seriously reconsider what comes out of your mouth. Fourth, are your words meaningless through abundance? Are your words meaningless through abundance? Some people just talk too much. And it's not that what they're saying is wrong or it's not that, that, that it's going to upset people. It's not even that you didn't have something interesting or informative to say, but people, there, there's some people that just keep, keep on talking. Have you ever known? I, I, I had a friend, a friend in, in college who was this way. I remember he and I were on a bus trip. We were going out, um, a group of, of guys were going out. I think we were paintballing. And we went paintballing and I sat next to him on the way back and it was like an hour trip and I was exhausted. So I fell, he, st he was talking and I fell asleep. And 35 minutes later, I woke up and he, he had not stopped talking. He was still talking to me. 
35 minutes later, he was still, I, mean, he had, I don't even think he looked over because I, I was literally out. I had no idea what he said. And he was still talking. There is an abundance of words there that, that is, is a mark of foolishness. If you clutter the important words that you say with too many unimportant words, then the important words will get lost in the mix and overshadowed by your meaninglessness. We talked about that with children, that, that this can happen, right? Because children talk so much. That's the idea. Have you ever noticed that it can happen in other areas too? Uh, my wife and I don't own a television today. Uh, we watch movies from time to time still, but I grew up in a home that, that had a television and it was on quite, con quite consistently. I would do homework in front of the television. I was public school. I would do homework in front of the television. I would bring my, my Legos and whatever else into the room and, and we'd, we'd always have the TV on while things were happening so that effectively it became background noise. And one of the interesting things that happens, some people do this with the radio, whatever it might be. One of the interesting things that I found is that when my wife and I watch a movie together, because my wife did not grow up in that sort of an environment, um, when my wife and I watch a movie together, we'll watch the same movie and I'll even be paying attention. You know, we'll be watching it together. And at the end, maybe the next day or whatever, because we think through movies and we talk about them and we analyze them and we say what was good, what wasn't. We, we, you should always do that with your media consumption, by the way. You should always evaluate it and, and um, uh, discer use discernment on it, right? And so as we are evaluating it, whatever, she might say, then there was this particular scene where such and such happened, and I'll say, I don't, even, I don't even remember that. And the problem is that because I've had so many years of, of, of stimulus just, just hitting me, it's like a pass-through. Eyes and ears, and it's gone. It just, my, my, I, I can't retain it all in my mind, and, and the television was on all the time, so now it's just like pass-through noise. Whereas my wife learned how to focus a little bit more and remember some stuff. That's the idea. If you're talking all the time, if you're just talking all the time, then in the ears of other people, at some point, it's just going to become passed through noise. And they're not going to listen to you anymore. And you're not going to have any ability to impact conversations or to be, to, when, when serious things come up, they're not going to have the gravity they need to have because your voice is just passed through noise. It's a mark of foolishness and we need to be careful. This can happen with the multitude of words. Parents, we need to teach our children not to ramble. We need to teach our children how to have economy of words. Now, there's an age where what, what is is, right? They're going to talk and whatnot, and at some point you just cut it off. But as they get older, they need to learn to make their words count. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. Don't just start talking and then eventually get to your point. Let's slow down. Let's think about what we need to say, and then let's open our mouths and I'll say it. That, that, that's a part of teaching our children to not be foolish. One more question, and then we'll get to wisdom. Are your words ignorant and uninformed? We live in a culture where everyone has an opinion about everything. And that's okay. Social media, however, has blown it up, right? To where everyone feels like everyone needs to hear their opinion on everything. Oftentimes, many of us hold very strong opinions, and that's okay too. But the problem comes when we have ignorant opinions, and we try to impose that ignorance upon others. Far better, in fact, that we would simply keep our mouth shut than to parent ignorant opinions all the time. Spouting ignorant opinions of things that we know little about is a mark of foolishness. Unfortunately, I think we do this far too often because our culture is so inundated with it, but we need to begin to recognize it for what it is. We need to begin to recognize ignorant opinions as foolishness, that people are saying things of which they really have no business saying, 
And it's fine that you have an opinion, but when you're, when you're, when you're busy trying to impose your ignorant opinions on others, you're being foolish. It's the mark of a fool. Now, we all do these things to some degree, right? My point is not that every single person would walk away from this time today and say, well, we're all biblical fools. My desire is that we walk away asking, are there elements of our speech that could be better? And not just that our our speech would not be foolish, but more so and more importantly, that our speech would be characterized by wisdom. And that's going to be our final point. The question is, and this is a different question, are your words wise? Solomon said in verse 12 that the words of a wise man are gracious. I want to focus in on this theme as we look at a few New Testament passages of Scripture. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Our speech ought to always manifest graciousness. Do you realize that uh, several hundred years later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes the same property in your speech as Solomon says should be the, the property in your speech. That the wise man, the property of his speech, the idea, what comes out of his mouth is always gracious, always with grace, always with grace. We are called to speak softly, distinctly, clearly, without offense. So much so that just a few verses earlier in this chapter, Paul wrote this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Everything that you say, every word that you say, everything that comes out of your mouth ought to be done to the glory of the Lord. Now, if you do that, your foolish speech will immediately stop. Because a lot of that stuff can't glorify God because it's just white noise. Much less ignorance or maliciousness or any of those things. This is wisdom. This is what it means to be spiritually mature. Let's allow Paul to help us a little bit more this morning. What does it really mean to have gracious words? What does it mean that our words are gracious, that our words are always with grace? Ephesians 4.29 helps us with this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister, here's our word again, grace unto the hearers. So what does it mean to minister grace unto the hearers? What does it mean to have gracious speech? What does it mean that our, that our words are always with grace? Ministers of grace that are speaking gracious words speak words that edify. That word edify means to build up. To build up. When you lie, you're not building up, you're tearing down. When you make fun of someone, you're not building them up, you're tearing them down. When you speak ill of someone, you're not building them up, you're tearing them down. When you gossip about someone, that means you pass along information to someone who has no business knowing it about someone else. When you gossip about someone, you're not building that person up, you're tearing them down. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29 that that is corrupt communication because it is not good to the use of edifying. It's not good to build someone up. Now, now sometimes you have to tear someone down to build them up properly, right? 
So sometimes the words that build someone up are words that, that will, you have to go up to somebody sometime and say, hey, look, you did wrong. And that's not going to make them feel good, but it's going to help them build, it's going to help build them up. So remember that distinction, that we're not necessarily saying everything you have to say, because if, if you can't tell the truth, then you're lying. And if you're lying, you're, you're not building them up. Even nice words that are lies are not helping anyone, right? So corrupt communication is a mark of the old man. We're called by our Lord to put off the old man and to put on the new, to grow up, to put away the foolish and childish things and be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to think a different way, to operate on a different level, not because we think we're better than others, not because we're holier than thou, but because we serve a Savior who has redeemed us through his death and he has equipped us unto every good work and he's asked us to live in every good work. Parents, I would encourage you to be careful that your children are building each other up. This is a hard thing to work into children. So much so that in, in many families, it is actually, if I can call it this, one of the ways that they show love to each other by tearing each other down. It's in fun, right? It's in good fun. It's in jest. And, and they tease. And that's one of the ways in which the family shows love. And, and I'm not saying that this is explicitly wrong, but I do want to caution you about this. My family was one of those growing up where uh, one of the ways in which we showed love was to razz each other and to tease each other and, and whatnot. And um, there were some times where it crossed a line. And it's not necessarily because you intended to cross a line, but it's the multitude of words, right? And in the multitude of words, there is no want of sin. And may I just suggest to you that while it may not be a wrong thing to have a family where teasing each other or, or, or the, the ingest tearing each other down is a part of a mark of love, may I suggest to you that there's probably a better way that you can work into your family to show love that doesn't involve that, even though that might be a perfectly fine form and everyone gets it and everyone's on the same page, that there might be a better way to show love where you could say, you know what, we've done this and, I, and we get it and it's just in jest, but let's start to change the way we show love just, just to, to reflect better the scriptures. And there might be wisdom there. And I would encourage you in that, just coming from a family that was that way. We need to teach our children how to build each other up. We need to teach our children kind, how, how, how to speak kind words. And that old adage, which, you know what, does come around to be pretty wise, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? Are your words wise? If they aren't, what can you do about it today to make them more gracious? Think back to this last week, this last month. Think back to your interaction with your children. Think back to your interaction with your husband. Think back to your interaction with your wife. Think back to your interaction with your coworkers, with your boss, with your pastor, with whoever it might be. Have your words been not just not foolish. Have your words been wise? Have your words been good to the use of edifying? Have your words been too many? Have your words been damaging? Have your words torn people down? Have your words been meaningless through abundance? Have they gotten you in trouble? Have you put your foot in your mouth a heap of times? Have they been unprofitable? Uh, are you regularly spouting out ignorant and misinformed things? 
let's guard ourselves in a, in a culture that is full of foolishness. Let's be distinct, the followers of God, to come out from among them and be separate. And one of the great ways that we can do this on any given time, on any given instance, in any given interaction, is by making sure our words are wise. Let's close in prayer.